Hello, and welcome to Three Association, a podcast about compassionate, contemplative, evocative supervision for spiritual directors, created by supervisors trained in the Together in the Mystery model. I'm Tara Owens. And I'm Maria Tattoo Bowen. We're glad you're here. Now let's listen in on today's Three Association conversation. Oh, Dan, we're so happy to welcome you today. What a joy to have you with us. Perhaps you could introduce yourself for our listeners. Sure. So I'm Dan Schrock, and I teach the spiritual direction courses at Anabaptist Mennonite Biblical Seminary, which is up in northern Indiana. And I've been offering spiritual direction for 25 or 26 years. And I've been doing a lot of supervision for the last 10 years. And maybe I could say that I have also accepted an additional assignment to co-direct the new Doctor of Ministry and Leadership program at our seminary. So that's taking a little bit of time. Yeah, so it sounds like your plate is full. (laughs) Yes. And Dan also was trained in this together in the mystery model of supervision. And we're just so happy to have him with us. He'll be also teaching a course in Fordham's advanced certificate in supervision next spring on group supervision. And he's written books. He's just a wonderful person for us to have a conversation with about highly sensitive people. And so to start, shall we free associate to the word, the words highly sensitive person? Excellent. (laughs) I will go first with that because I'm always goofy, my free associations. But the thing that I always think about with highly sensitive people um, being one myself is I have images in my head of various instruments that measure things in the world that have very fine sensitivities to things. I even think about, I know somewhere on the planet, I don't know where is like the measure of unit that is this, like that's a gram, or I don't even know what the standard is, but that there's this reality in highly sensitive people that they are instruments that are tuned for very fine gradations. And that's what comes up for me when I think about highly sensitive people. How about you, Maria or Dan? When I think of highly sensitive persons, the image of a sea anemone comes to mind where there's this sort of open creature that has all of these little arms that are waving in the ocean. And then something comes by that's either noxious or food, (laughs) sometimes it's food, and they just close down and they have to protect themselves. And so that's what comes to mind for me. How about you, Dan? Yeah, the first association is not so pleasant. See who's weak. Really? Oh, Mm -hmm. that's interesting. I think that's a perception that's out out and about in society, at least among some people, that these sensitive people are just weak. What is their problem? Why can't they get their act together? But the more I have learned about sensory processing sensitivity, which is the technical term for this, 
And the more I have tried to understand what it means for me as a highly sensitive person, I've come to a new understanding of our association, which is that this is a precious gift, mm. albeit one for which I pay a high metabolic price. That is, it's metabolically costly. Yeah. I can already tell I'm going to learn a lot from you today, Dan. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, Dan, when you say, would you say again the term that you use to describe highly sensitive people and maybe talk a little bit about what that is for our listeners who maybe haven't heard the term before? Sure. So highly sensitive people were first identified by Elaine Aaron. She spells her last name A-R-O-N. She is a psychologist. And this is something she discovered in her own life and in the life of her patients, began to wonder about it and did some research about it. And by now it is a very thoroughly researched phenomenon by people around the world. And the term that psychologists use for this is sensory processing sensitivity. And they take pains to say, this is not a disorder. Rather, it is a trait. It's just something that some people have. In fact, Elaine Aaron and others used to say that about 15 to 20% of the population had this, have this, but there was some new research published in 2018 that now pretty much suggests that 30% of the general population are highly sensitive. Wow. So there that are a lot has, of us around. Yeah, there's a lot of us around, and that has huge implications, I think, for the realm of spiritual direction, the realm of supervision, both as directors, but also people who are coming to us as directees or supervisees. So, Dan, what would you say, thinking about that? I've talked to Maria, we've, that there are quite a few, more than 30% of us, who are in the vocation of spiritual direction. <laughs> yeah, I the first time I really got clued into this, I think, was about nine years ago when I was teaching a class. We were at the end of the year and we were gathered in a circle in the classroom to bless each other. It was our final day. And one of the students in the class, it so happened that year, all of them were women. But one of the students in the class remarked what a blessing it was for her to be in this small community where everyone was highly sensitive and got it, understood it. And I thought, I need to learn more about that. And then I started reading more and more and more pieces of my life that I thought were disparate, unconnected, slowly began to come together. And I realized, oh, there is actually an underlying 
reality behind all of this and underlying reason for all of this. These things are connected and here's why. I don't know if I answered your question, Tara, but that's what came to my mind. Yeah, no, I think that it just gives a, an image. I think your colleague named something that I find to be true in a lot of gatherings of spiritual directors or supervisors, then it's not exclusively so. That doesn't mean that if you're not an HSP, you shouldn't be doing spiritual direction or supervision. No, but that, not at all. But that there's a certain set of things to be cognizant of and maybe to be, become aware of for yourself um, as a director, if that's true of you. And I'm wondering, Dan, what might be, what might some of those things be. I was thinking about this before we started talking together. Imagine, if you will, a directee who has just started three part-time jobs at the same time, all in different organizations. And it's just the way life is unfolding for this particular person at this point in time. None of these jobs is very taxing. Maybe she doesn't spend very many days a month doing any of these jobs. And yet at the end of the day, she is exhausted. And the question is why? As a spiritual director, I might begin to inquire using open-ended questions and using some noticing, noticings about organizational organizations have their own unique cultures. I wonder if it's possible that you might be in at the front end of learning three very different organizational cultures and you are open and aware of all the complexities of these organizations, the subtleties of the ways in which people react or interact with each other. And so you're processing all of this new information and you go home exhausted. Yeah, that makes sense, Dan. And I, I realize for myself, I too test quite high on that highly sensitive person inventory, which I'm sure we will put in our show notes. And I noticed like the more moving parts I'm dealing with on any given day, the more potential I have for just being a little overwhelmed by all of that, because there is this sort of exquisite tuning in that happens, I think for us. And for me, I know I can tune in to a fault, like way more than I need to. I'm on it. Uh, it can leave one feeling a little either overwhelmed or exhausted, depending on the environment that we choose to operate in. Yeah, but I want to highlight, though, the, the joys and the blessings of this. Yes, it's exhausting, but there are actually a lot of benefits to this. Oh, absolutely. And that's one of the things that I try at, for directees or supervisees who know they are highly sensitive. That's one of the things I try and help them explore for themselves. What are the blessings of this for me as a director that is for the person? And what are the blessings for you, Dan? 
Okay, for me, when I go to an art museum, like the Art Institute of Chicago, I can notice all sorts of subtleties that in the paintings that other people might miss. In spiritual direction, I'm very attuned to facial micro expressions that flit mm. across someone's mm -hmm. face. Yeah. When I cook, I'm very attentive to the subtleties of spices and seasonings and how they interact with each other and what might be missing mm. or what there might be too much of. So I would say in general, a heightened appreciation for beauty, which might be music, visual arts, taste, any number of things. What I love or relationships. About, yeah. What I love about what you're saying, Dan, is that it, it counteracts that first impression of it, that first association. And it just like compassion-based listening, it it aims to remind the director or the person in, in spiritual direction that what is being explored is gift, not weakness. Yeah. I also notice that not only me, but the people I listen with who are highly sensitive tend to have a pretty remarkable experiences of God, like embodied shivers, heat, lots of embodied manifestations of the Holy Spirit. And I consider that an exquisite gift that I'm willing to pay for by having to <laughs> upset <laughs> myself sometimes from a crowd. Yes, I agree with that. I'm so glad you brought that up, Maria, because that's much of the published literature on highly sensitive persons is written by psychologists yeah. <clears throat> and they are not necessarily interested in the spiritual aspect or at least they don't write about the spiritual aspect of things like we spiritual directors and supervisors would and so th that's something i think we can offer as spiritual directors to the conversation about highly sensitive persons to notice that they they we have may have some abilities to appreciate the subtle interactions between us and God, between us and the divine mystery. And along with that, maybe to detect the beauty and intricacy of scripture. Mm. I think it's part of the same thing. I think there's also this gift of with highly sensitive people who are who are given permission to tune into their sensitivity instead of to power through it to to look for the shouts of god instead of the whispers that there's something that direction offers to that space of recognizing that god meets us as we are who we are both as individuals and as directors and supervisors and god's God in that way is going to be excited to give you subtle flavors to taste. And, and it's a delight to give directees and supervisees permission to tune into that. One of the ways that I, I have often seen directees and supervisees who are highly sensitive 
tune into some of these subtleties that you mentioned, Tara, is when it comes to spiritual discernment. Mm. The spiritual mm -hmm. discernment process for highly sensitive people can be very intricate, very complex, and take a long time because they want to explore, we want to explore all the possible angles, viewpoints of this particular decision. I recently went through a discernment decision myself. It took a long time and it was very difficult. And while I was in the middle of it, I knew very well what was going on. I was doing it as a highly sensitive person. <laughs> and of course I was seeing every possible angle to this thing. But as a director or a supervisor, that summons from me patience for oh, others yeah. who need to take a long time to explore all of these complexities. Mm -hmm. So it's more compassion, right? Oh, yes. compassion. I'm also, as you're speaking, Dan, so struck, I keep thinking of Susan Cain's book, Quiet, and how her talk about the nervous systems of introverts being a little more hair trigger than others. So my, I'm guessing that there's a Venn diagram here where those, the highly sensitive person and introversion might overlap. I don't know if you've thought about that. Yeah, I know. And I'll put a plug in now for Dan, for your article and presence about highly sensitive persons. But do you have a sense of any overlap there in your research? I've personally not done any research into high. My research has all been on the printed material. But the literature does say that at approximately 70% of highly sensitive persons are introverts and 30% huh. are extroverts. Oh, so it is a Venn diagram. <laughs> yeah, Yay! I'm also curious what the two of you experience about this. I, when I found grounding as a practice and being just really being in nature and grounding my body, that was one of the most healing things for me as a highly sensitive person. I feel like my nervous system, there's a lot of electricity in my nervous system. And if I can ground it to the earth, I'm good. I don't know what you two have found in terms of ways of calming or grounding. So I would say that grounding has been a huge discovery for me, even over the past two years. I, interestingly enough, and I may have mentioned this to our listeners before, but I'm a boxer as well. And while that's not simply nature, the it's the release of the charge on some level physically yes. That And there's a way in which boxing is an introvert sport. <laughs> and there's this interior space that you get to go into. And both the grounding or earthing and that experience have allowed me to settle the system, recalibrate the instrument. And I'm in a season right now where I'm being drawn very deeply back into a practice that I have been out of for some time of centering prayer. And even larger church experience for me is overstimulating. And I think there are seasons as a highly sensitive person where like I'm, the message is you're supposed to be in these big, loud, large 
experiences and my nervous system can't take it in certain seasons. And my spirituality is then feels messy because of it. And so recognizing like contemplative spaces are actually are my grounding in that, in my own, intending my own spirituality and not delegitimizing that as not the norm or not what, whatever your spiritual community says is the right way to gather. How about you, Dan? Yeah, I love this conversation here about how to ground ourselves and, or if we could use a different, if I can use a different word, how to re reset ourselves, recenter ourselves, how to get enough rest between directees. Directee mm -hmm. comes at nine, leaves at 10. What do I need? And the next one's at 11. What do I need to do in that one hour in between directees to, to take care of my body, my spirit, my highly sensitive need. I mean, it, it's all a part of one package. What do I need to do to care for myself so that I'm ready for the next person and can be the best that I can be for that person? And I'm grateful also, Tara, that you mentioned the challenges that highly sensitive persons have in large corporate worship services. I was a pastor for 30 years, was, not anymore. And I, for, for decades, I would wonder, why is it that I come home from worship utterly exhausted? Yeah. And go directly to bed. Gradually, I realized it's the, the high stimulation of corporate experiences, yeah. the sights, the sounds, the visual, the visual stimuli, the, all the people interactions, the subtleties of who's relating to who and who's not talking to whom, and all these things, it's exhausting yeah. and you need to recover. So can we, if we are in that kind of environment, can we as spiritual directors give ourselves the freedom, the permission that maybe I, for a while, I only go to church once every month or once every other week, or I find a smaller congregation or a more contemplative congregation, whatever it is. Yeah. I love that word of permission. I mean, what I've been hearing from you, Dan, again, is that compassionate stance toward the reality. That's a third of the population, as you've said, but the, but a huge chunk of what it means to be a spiritual director. There's a lot of us in the vocation. And I even am grateful for your words of metabolic cost yeah. because it takes it out of that um I think there can be language that is moral about this, like the, the good, bad, weak, strong, even there's a way in which you're sensitive. Right. Very yeah. As opposed to a sensitive instrument is needed in certain situations. And, yeah. and so the, this metabolic cost and naming it and naming it for myself as a director and knowing I can't see people back to back like right. that that that's it's just not 
what I can do in my nervous system and recognizing and making some peace with um, a limitation that allows me to be that deeply sensitive with the person that I'm sitting with. Yeah. That's really important, Tara. And I love that you're talking about it as us as an instrument. I, I even in the book I'm writing on supervision, I have a chapter about caring for our listening instrument because it really, mm. I can really feel that too. And I, I think one thing that seems really important to me is also to talk a little bit about energy. And I know that sounds woo woo, but on the <laughs> other hand, I, I've had experiences like walking into a room where something difficult has just happened. And I can feel that in the room. And I know that sounds a little strange, but for people who are highly sensitive, it will sound quite normal. So there really is, I think, an important consideration about even energetically ending an interaction. Like somebody leaves our office or our Zoom meeting and we take a moment to maybe give them back their energy, give their energy to God, even reclaim our own energy so that we can separate afterwards and all of that's not hanging around with us. Does that, am I just sounding really off the wall here? <laughs> okay, good. I'm getting no. The listeners no. can't see that, but we're not, <laughs> we're shaking our heads. No, I had an experience just last week where I was teaching at a program in spiritual direction and two people were in the hall talking and I, it felt like walked through their energy. And I said something because it was positive energy. It was effusive. It was like, and I said, as I walked by, I said, you two feel like a fountain of joy or some version of that. And I kept walking, <laughs> but it felt like I walked through this energy and I wasn't listening to their conversation. I had no idea. And afterwards, one of the pair, like later in the day came to me and said, I don't know how you do that. That's exactly. <laughs> I'm like, I don't know how I do that either. But that energetic reality, it's not, it is this like having to reclaim the energy that's mine, give back or give to God the energy that is my directees and to um, like sort of just reset to baseline yes. <laughs> in a way so that I'm not carrying other people's energies, not just for me, but for the people that I'm with. What about you, Dan? Does this all sound yeah. a little too woo? <laughs> no, I like everything that the <laughs> two of you have said is so true. We need ways to release our directees and our supervisees back to God. Yeah. Because after all, it's not our job to fix them. Yeah. No. No. God will care for them in between the times we see our be, between the times we see our directees or our supervisees. God can care for them in ways we cannot. Yeah. yeah. So and there's, there's a trust. Just, there is trust. And then there's a certain energy in that to me in recognizing like part of giving that back to them, to God is also, I may know cognitively that this is not my responsibility, but as a highly sensitive person, I can get their story, their energy, their experience, and my experience all tangled up yeah. in a way that has nothing to do with how I'm thinking about it but actually just has to do with 
again, the instrument of my body, my nervous system, that if I don't recognize that's theirs, if I don't find the space to center after a session, I can go for a long period of time, like with an energetic story that's not mine. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. yeah. For those of us who happen to be married or in a covenanted relationship or a partnership, Tara, I think there's something important in what you just said that I'd like to highlight, which is that after, if we meet with someone, and their story has really engaged us either positively or negatively. And we are still carrying that and struggling with that. Sometimes I find it helpful just to say to my wife, whose name is Jenny, I am carrying something pretty heavy that I heard today in spiritual direction. I obviously can't talk about it, but I want you to know that I'm exhausted. Essentially my listener, has gone offline and please bear with me until I recover. <laughs> and she is so gracious about that. <laughs> That's mm. lovely. I well, love that. Me too. I'm also, as we're talking, I'm also thinking there may be another Venn diagram between, you know, a highly high sensitivity and empathy there. There's a lot of conversation about M being an empath these days I've noticed. So I think there's a way I've noticed this in supervision where people who are sensitive and maybe haven't learned to navigate it very well yet can sort of tune their tune themselves to the other person's radio station, almost mm -hmm. get lost, just lost, losing their own point of view, their own selves because mm -hmm. they are so tuned to the other. And so I think another piece of being our own energetic integrity, for lack of a better term, is just maybe sitting back a little and letting the river of life flow between us and even some fog coming up from the river if we need mm -hmm. that. We can have our own sort of grounded listening space. I love that, Maria, that there's an image that I use that's grounding for me is that when I sit with a directee or supervisee, there's a pool between us. Yeah. And then offering things into the pool and then they either take things out or put things into the pool and that the spirit is there in the space, that that's not mine to mediate and just being able to have that distance. And I also love Dan, the like recognition, like the what you do with Jenny is offer vulnerability to her in saying station, <laughs> I've got a name where I am station is offline. And that sometimes we do have to like, just name that for ourselves after it, because we're not in control of what our directees or supervisees bring to us in any given moment. And even if we've done that, there may be times to just name our vulnerability and our lack of capacity to take more in right now. Yeah. 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 So we're coming to the end of our time together, Dan, if there's any last word you want to say, and then we'd really love to hear about a time you've had a transformative experience as a supervisee. I don't know that I have a last word, but if I had a last word, it would be <laughs> if you are listening now and you think you might be a highly sensitive person, there are ways of finding that out. You can go to HSP, I'm sorry, hsperson 
hsperson.com, hsperson.com, a website maintained by Elaine Aaron, and find out more information there. All right, an experience of supervision that I appreciate or what I appreciate about my supervisor. What <laughs> no, I the story is, about the supervision. A, super, <laughs> a story yeah. about the supervision. I, early in my work as a director, I chose to receive peer supervision peer group supervision. And I had one of the most splendid peer groups that you could possibly imagine. Very talented people, very perceptive. And yet I eventually discovered that I might do better if I had individual supervision. And I think it had to do with the frequency and the training to switch from people who were not specifically trained in supervision to someone who was specifically trained in supervision, and then to receive it more frequently than about twice a year, which is what I was getting in that peer supervision group. Yeah. We met every month, but it was so large that I myself was only supervised twice a year. That has made a tremendous difference that just that simple shift has made a tremendous difference in my ability, I think, to grow as a spiritual director. I don't know if that's what you were. That's no, wonderful. That's no, perfect. I'm not at all trying to downplay peer supervision. It has its strengths. All I'm saying is that if you've never tried individual supervision, I encourage you to try it out. You might find <laughs> that it actually fits you better. <laughs> <laughs> oh, thank you for being with us today, Dan. Thank, thank you for you having so me. Much. Ah, yes, you're very welcome. Thanks for joining us for today's Three Association Conversation. This and every Three Association episode can be found at threeassociation.com, on SoundCloud, or wherever you get your podcast feed. We appreciate you being with us. Please feel free to forward this or any Three Association conversation to those who might benefit. Blessings on your life and ministry.